1: Thank <laughs> you.
0: Right. You'll remember that last week we were supposed to have Todd Miller on from Harding University, but we had problems with his cell phone. I did the interview later in the day, so we'll give that to you today. Todd Miller is from Harding University, the Master of Arts in Organizational Leadership. What's that all about? Welcome to uh, Todd Miller who is the Director of Strategic Initiatives, Center for Organizational Leadership, the Master of Arts in Organizational Leadership at Hardy University. Is that all on your business card?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a kind <laughs> of a long title, and uh, yeah, it, it's, it's all there. It's just, you know, you may have to pull out your magnifying glass to see it.
0: To be able to see it all, I got you. So why don't we start at the beginning, and uh, you tell us what organizational leadership is all about.
1: Yeah, you know, organizational leadership is truly an interdisciplinary academic field of study that its main focus is on individual and team success. And so the field really includes a lot of of factors that are part of the daily life of a leader. And so some of the common skills that you would learn in this degree, Master of Arts in Organizational Leadership, it includes the ability to establish goals develop strategic plans, recruit teams, uh, communicate effectively, manage conflict because conflict's unavoidable, execute plans, develop individuals and teams, and really the ability to evaluate organizational effectiveness.
0: Well, let's go in and, and, and deconstruct that just a little bit because there's a lot in that definition okay. that you just said. Uh, what's most important about recruiting teams. I mean, you've got to make sure you got the right people in there, but you want to make sure that there's a little bit of iron sharpening iron in a team as well, correct?
1: Absolutely. You know, when you're recruiting teams, of course, you're looking for the strengths. And, and we all have weaknesses, but when it comes to organizational effectiveness, I think the key is drawing out the strengths uh, and the people around you. You know, and maximizing those strengths, minimizing the weaknesses, because teamwork, you literally really do need each other if you're going to function at your maximum level of potential. And so that's one of the biggest things with team. And also, too, is to develop a culture where you really cultivate where you serve each other. Because, you know, when I think about a kingdom principle in my walk with the Lord, and then I think about a principle that really translates, you know, into the business world or education ministry world, all of that is, you, you, you rejoice in the success of those around you Mm -hmm. and so when you can serve each other well and then get excited for each other's success that's when i think a team can really function to its utmost well
0: let's explain to our listeners about harding university since you are a religious institution as well you come from two different uh what's the best way to put this avenues of thought You, you know you have uh, business, which is secular in nature, but you want to bring Christian principles into it as well. How difficult is that to mix together?
1: Well, you know I mean you want to be honest with who you are um you know and not be ashamed of who you are and to a certain degree, of course. You know, a Christian has a, obviously a biblical worldview and kind of a Christocentric worldview, but at the same time, you're not trying to just uh, completely force that upon people either. So that that balance, you know, the Spirit will lead and give give the wisdom uh, as we navigate that, because we want this to be for for everybody. And so, you know, anybody who wants to apply for this, whether you believe in God or or not, we think this would be a great degree for you, and, and, um, you know, we can't help but be shaped by who we are and what we believe in, and that's okay. And yet, at the same time, I think this would be a great degree for anybody, because really, you know, I mean, biblical principles translate into effective business strategies, whether we realize those are flowing together or not.
0: Things have changed in the world if you haven't noticed over the last few years, uh, especially, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> especially in business. You know, is it really for people who are coming into business now? And you're talking about organizational leadership here. It's a completely different ball game now, is it not than it was 20 years ago?
1: Well, sure. I mean, you know, things are always moving and changing. Um, but I do think there's certain principles that are always very relevant. And so, like today, more than ever, there's a need to develop leaders. And there's not a lot of avenues to develop leadership. You know, for men and women. Of course, we want men and women to, to enroll for this. And we have you know a, a good ratio of men to women uh, faculty with this as well, which is intentional. But but yeah, I mean, leadership is extremely important, and to develop Strong leaders who um, can lead other people effectively, well they need to be developed themselves so we're we're really trying to you're going to learn about leadership through all these different avenues with this degree and the certificate program that's a part of it too, but like we want to develop the person themselves as a leader because a lot of times you can't take people as far as where you are yourself, but sure, we try to be very um, you know aware of all the different things going on around us in this world and try to navigate that but uh, but leadership is is vastly needed and organizations and obviously our country as well
0: when you when you're looking to be a leader uh, are there certain things is there certain personalities that are better for leadership skills or is that all taught
1: well, I mean, Dr. Nathan Miller, he's the executive director of this uh, Master of Arts Organizational Leadership, and he's also CEO of Strata Leadership, based in uh, the Oklahoma City area. And something I've heard him say, and this is proven you know, through study 30% of leadership is genetics, you know, mm-hmm. that you're born with, and uh, 70% is learned. And so that opens up a whole big area. You know, of anybody can really become an effective leader if you're willing to put the time and effort in learning and learning, and if you're a coachable, trainable type person. So I think that's a big deal: 30% genetics, 70% learned. And so, um, so this this is a great degree for a lot of different people because of that.
0: Well, the the arts, the Master of Arts in Organizational Leadership is uh, a degree that's uh, relatively new used to be if you had a bachelor's or or whatever uh people looked at you and said well you can do the work and and you moved up but that's not the way it is any longer i mean you've got to have higher uh skill levels to compete for the 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 better and higher paying jobs is that not true
1: well that's true i you know i mean i guess Part of that's dependent upon what you're doing, but sure, we've come to a point now where it seems as if you at least need to have the undergraduate degree and then it's become much more normal, kind of ingrained in people that you also need to pursue a master's level degree. And one of the things I love about this degree, I wish it would have been there back in the day when I went to Harding, is it's it's really good for anything that you that you're involved with people and and you know, I've done ministry, I've done education, I've done the healthcare sector and this degree would have been great for both. But it's like it's for work and for life. You know, these organizational leadership skills you learn in this degree, that's one of the things that excites me about promoting it is it's actually very applicable for for work and for life. And so when you're thinking about what do I want to do, and what can i use this degree with well i think it really makes you marketable for a lot of different things cuz not many people work for the same company for 30 years anymore and so this degree really sets you up for success to do you know multitude of things in the workplace
0: all right so who is the master of organizational leadership degree for i mean we've we've scratched the surface of what it is who is it for
1: yeah it's a great question um, organizational leadership it's an ideal field of study, really, for individuals who care deeply about people and, and systems and, and have a sincere desire to use their leadership abilities to make life better for others. And, you know, and so, typical roles for those with a background in organizational leadership, they include executives, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, ministry leaders, educators, and human resource managers. And I've had discussions even with uh, those going into law enforcement who see this as a, as a great degree and even more so here and more for like military and different things like that so if it goes it's a wide array it's a, it's a big spectrum and so but those are some of the typical roles and you know that you would do with this uh, background
0: well a lot of these people are people who are sitting in the hot seat so to speak and uh, how best to be able to move their organizations uh, forward and we're going to take That's a right. we're going to take a short break uh, Todd and then we're going to come back and and finish up here. Uh, on Dave Ellswick's show and talk about, you know, what are the details of the program, what's the difference between a Master's of Arts and organizational leadership and an MBA and things of that nature. So you stay where you're at. Pour yourself another cup of coffee. We'll be back in just a moment, and we'll talk about all of that. Here we got Harding University on with us. If you happen to miss the, the last part of this interview, just let me tell you, go to harding.edu slash M A O L for more information. I'm Dave Ellswick. Stay tuned. We got more coming your way here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. Back with you, talking with Todd Miller. He is the director of strategic initiatives. The Center for Organizational Leadership, Master of Arts in Organizational Leadership, and Harding University. If you just joined us, you missed the first part of the uh, interview, you can go to my Facebook page, Dave Ellswick Show. It's right there, so you can listen to it without any problem. Or, uh, you know, you can uh, check out uh, our website as well here at 101.1 FM, uh, The Answer. But, uh, Todd, we, we dealt with what is this organizational leadership. We dealt with what is the Master of Organizational Leadership degree four. How about the difference between the Master of Arts and Organizational Leadership and the MBA? I mean, the MBA, Master's of Business Administration. What is the difference here between the two of them?
1: Yeah, well, you know, as you're kind of referring to, the NBA is a very established degree that's been around for a while and and a very good degree. And so MBA programs typically take an analytical approach to management and they focus on areas such as finance, accounting, marketing and statistics. And so there you know many MBA programs allow students to earn a concentration in organizational leadership, but the main objective of the MBA program is a comprehensive understanding of business operations, which you know, that, that's a good thing. Yeah. And then MAOL programs, they delve more into the human elements of business, such as communication techniques, leadership theory, multicultural workplace dynamics, and and team development. So by emphasizing more uh, personal and creative approaches to management, this degree really enables students to work with the emotional intelligence of, you know, individual employees that you work with.
0: All right. So let's, let's, again, let's deconstruct this a little bit. Because in the last uh, segment, we talked about uh, the difference in, uh, you know, running a business from 20 years ago to today. And one of the biggest parts uh, and difference is this whole thing about uh, where you make the statement about the creative approaches to multicultural workplace dynamics the team development and, and things of that nature uh, talk a little bit about that i mean things are different now in 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 the in the offices uh, maybe you know, the people that are there they don't want to work in the office uh five days a week maybe they want to work in the office only three days a week so you you know you got to change your your management style so to speak and i think that this is what this is dealing with
1: Yeah. In fact, I think it's perfect timing, this degree in organizational leadership, because for the first time ever, we have five generations working together in the workplace. So you think of traditionalists, baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, and now Generation Z. And so, how do you work together effectively? And, and so, this is a very intentional degree when it comes to recognizing the different team dynamics, uh, different cultures, different things going on in this world, different social, political, hot-button issues. How do you navigate that effectively and and work together? And, and so, more than ever, we need a degree that really focuses on those skills that's very intentional when it comes to people-oriented things. So, how can we work together effectively as an organization, as a team and communicate effectively and be sensitive as needed to different issues and really different generations, you know, because you can get really frustrated the different generations when they think about each other. And and so, more than ever, I really think this degree is needed to help equip you for that develop you as a leader and as you strategically move through those different challenges within the workplace today.
0: Yeah, Todd, one of the things that we mentioned uh, in the first part of the interview was managing conflicts. I'm just telling you, you put five generations together, the difference between Generation Z and, let's just say, a baby boomer are immense, and that can cause some problems, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, you know, the biggest thing is taking the time to to listen to each other and, and understand each other. It doesn't mean you have to completely change to accommodate the different generations, but t- taking the time to listen and understand and then go okay, and then you don't take things personal as much, and how do I communicate effectively and get a starting point to where you build some trust and understanding of each other, and then you can kind of go from there and and I think be much more effective, but it really does take time to listen and understand the different generations and then okay, how can we work together and what is you know what is really just kind of you know style, uh, preference versus what is really essential. And so you kind of have to break that down so you're not unintentionally majoring in the minors, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's not easy, but I, I think it's very it's very doable. Well, let me ask a question
0: about that because uh, l- l- let's kind of get the listener in on this. Let's take a baby boomer, for instance, and that would be me. And I think that baby boomers say, I, I identify with my job. Part of my personality is what I do. And then you talk to somebody that's a a Generation Z person, and they say back to me, they go, well, that may be you, but I am me, and that just happens to be my job. I'm just telling you, that's two different complete philosophical viewpoints.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, and, and I know we have broad generalizations of so the different generations, and which means there's some truth in it. It's not the exact same for everybody, but there's not as much of the loyalty uh, for working for a company for 20 or 30 years. And like you said, identity is not completely wrapped up in your job. But then also too, the younger generations they really want to see that there's a purpose for this company. Okay, so you're this business, but then how do you reach out and help other people intentionally as well? They want to be a part of something bigger than themselves, and and then also. Too. I mean, it takes more work because people may bounce around, look for the next best opportunity, and so you have to continue to reinvest in people. But yeah, it's that's a management thing that you really need some expertise. Which disagree, Master of Arts in Organizational Leadership. Pretty much all of our faculty are in the workplace around this country, and so you have that balance of theory and practice who can really help you navigate through this. They're 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 in it. They're working in what you're talking about, and they can really help you help you walk through it and do it effectively. I tell you what,
0: if you're the guy sitting at top, you got a tough position now. It really could be a tough because you have to That's identify right. first of all what you are and then be able to identify what your other people are. I heard Bill Maher over the weekend say that they should you know, we divide time up into into with letters, you know. You know, we we do uh, BC, we do AD, and now there should be a BY. You know, before you talking about the the younger generation, and I, I I thought that was I just thought that was really astute because they are not as steeped in history as the later generations are.
1: No, yeah, I mean it's it, it isn't easy. Leadership is not easy. God didn't call us to easy, and so it's kind of like you know, complain or compete. And so you got to find a way to compete and connect with the younger generations and find the, the areas that you can work together effectively. But, yeah, it's, it's a it's a different time for sure. But, you know, this is where leaders really need to step up. And um, leadership, sometimes it can be lonely, um, but it's so needed. And <laughs> That's then, an understatement. You know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that can be an understatement. It really can. All right, Todd, we're down to just two minutes left. So let's get to the point about the details of the program itself how does a person get involved with this, and 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 what do they, what kind of uh, uh, requirements must they meet?
1: Yeah, well, you go to harding.edu backslash m a o l and m a o l, of course, stands for the Master of Arts in Organizational Leadership. It's really easy to apply online. And um, even though you, at some point you do have to put a resume and a writing sample, but our academic director, Dr. Andrew Bishop, will help you through that. You can even send her a rough draft. We'll help you every step of the way to apply. But it's a thirty credit hour master degree, and so the classes are eight weeks long, hundred percent online, so you can do this from anywhere. And um, you know you can do twelve hours per semester. You can do it and just under a calendar year. So we have eighteen hours of our core you know, classes, which, you know, six classes times three equals 18. And then you choose from one of our three certificate programs. You graduate with a master's degree in organizational leadership, but then also you have a certificate, graduate certificate. You choose from executive and workplace coaching, a certificate in human resource management or a certificate in learning and development. And so we have three really great choices there. And so we think it's something that is really going to help you uh, for whatever you do. And it's very much needed uh, in the world we live in today.
0: All right. Todd Miller, Director of Strategic Initiative, Center for Organizational Leadership, Master of Arts in Organizational Leadership, Harding University. Thanks for your time, Todd. Very interesting. And we appreciate your time here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right. I got to say, just getting the whole title out was tough. He he does have all that on his business card. There's like 50 words in that. And like you said, you might have to use a magnifying glass to be able to read it. It's a great program. You should take a look at it. And uh, Harding is really on the cusp of coming up with some great programs that you can can use. All right. Coming up uh, here on the show... Brooke is back, and that's always a good thing. So we're going to get entertained, and we're going to be talking to uh, a Canadian who is a huge country and western fan of Conway Twitty. We'll talk about um, we'll talk with him as well here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm trying to get my phone up here as far as my time, so I know where I'm at, and it tells me it's time for the news right now. All right. Don't forget again now in the Cabot area, you know, Ward, Austin, BB, all that area used to be if you had an emergency, a medical emergency, you had to go to North Little Rock or to Little Rock to get to an emergency room. Not the case anymore. Uh, At Cabot Emergency Hospital, they can uh, take you in and they, if you're having a heart attack or you think you're having a heart attack uh, and you're in that area, time matters. Being seen matters. Being seen quickly matters. So stop by and see them. I mean, they got an on-site lab uh, right there at the Cabin Emergency Hospital where they can run uh, your your blood sample and look for those enzymes in it. And if they see certain things, uh, they're going to move you to a, you know, um, uh, a heart hospital and do it El Pronto. But they will see you fast. R.D. Hopper was on Monday, said that one of his uh, employees cut his arm badly was bleeding all over the place. They were going to go to North Little Rock, and uh, the employees said, well, what about that cabin emergency hospital that Ellswick talks about? And RG said, you're right, and they went over there. They were in within a couple of minutes. They were out in 15. They did all the, clean, the cleanup, the stuturing, everything that needed to be done. And uh, cabin emergency hospital, that's what they want you to know. Uh, they... Ask this question. You'll see it on their billboards as you drive up towards Cabot. Why wait? You don't have to wait if you go to Cabot Emergency Hospital. 100% physician owned. There's a board certified emergency physician on duty all the time. 24-7, 365. They got the complete radiological suite. They got the x-rays, the CT scans, the ultrasound, and they got an MRI here at Cabot Emergency Hospital. No, they want you to get back to your life faster. To do that, get in to see me, have your emergency scene quicker. You can do that at Cabin Emergency Hospital. They're on 89, right uh, on the side, uh, off of sixty seven, one sixty seven on the Walmart side. Easiest way for me to tell you where they're at. You go there, they'll take good care of you. All right, Brooke is back in the studio. It's always nice to have Brooke here. I saw her perform up uh, at uh, Clay Cooper's show in Branson a few weeks back. And I got to tell you what, amazing. She really was amazing because usually I hear her here and, and, you know, she's here doing just an acoustic set, you know, sits and does a show, a song. There she had the full band behind her, made all the difference in the world. It That's really it does. Did. It made it it all was, the difference.
4: It was really, really cool to be there, be back, because um, since COVID I haven't been able to play anywhere. And so it's just been me, and I've been practicing. And so to have a band there, it was just different, and it felt really good to just be back on stage performing for people.
0: Okay, so how long did you have to practice with the band before that evening?
4: It was that day, (laughs) that same day. (laughs) All All of five minutes, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Clay said, come on up here. Let's just run through this real quick. Is that what he did?
4: um yeah pretty much <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll
0: tell you what it didn't show look like you guys have been playing together for quite some yeah, time
4: the band was really good they just
0: well they've got years of experience mm-hmm. he's got a lot of people that play with him that are really good session musicians they do a good job alright so Gina we had our first trip back with Little Rock Tours again Yes. it was a full trip everybody had a great everybody time a... I never heard I didn't hear a bad no, word everybody it enjoyed it and uh We've got this new one coming up. This is kind of a, we're going to do this quickly uh, because uh, Brooke is playing in Nashville.
4: Yeah, she is is playing at a, a little place called Cabana Taps, and um, she is going to um, open the the stage for Gil Gran, who okay. uh, I think we're, he hopefully will be calling in, but, so we, we have this three night tour to Nashville going. Okay. And it. Is September twenty seventh for three nights, and it's a really good deal. It's six ninety five. We stay in downtown Nashville on the Honky Tonk Highway, and it includes the private show and dinner with uh, at the Cabana Taps with this amazing artist. Yeah,
0: let me repeat that again: a private, private. show yes. and dinner.
4: Yes, private show, and there's going to be songwriters there from Nashville and it also includes the uh, ticket to the Grand Ole Opry, ticket to the Country Music Hall of Fame, a singer-songwriter sightseeing tour where you hop along and a songwriter shows you the sights and they also sing for you on the motor coach. Um, several other things are included. 695 per person round trip transportation, lodging, the show ticket, dinners and all kinds of stuff Good are included. Stuff. Yes, Good stuff. September 27th through the 30th we'd love to have everybody go at Little Rock Tours.
0: All right, we're hoping Now, we're hoping that Gil Grant's going to call. He's supposed to. This guy is known as like the Conway Twitty of Canada, right? Just to give you an idea, let me just play a little bit of music. Heidi, let's play a little bit of music from Gil Grant here. We got the slow hand. Here's the uh, Clapton song, done Conway, Twitty. This is not Twitty. This is Gil Grant. You will not tell the difference. Here you go.
2: the night, not seeing what you wanted to see. Darling, don't say a word, I've already heard what your body's saying to mine. You're tired of fast moves, you got a slow
1: groove
2: on your mind. You want a man with a slow
0: I swear to you, I cannot tell cannot the difference between him tell. and Conway Mm-mm. Twitty. He he's if, if I was so like, good. I got, well, darling, we didn't put it in the system, mm-hmm. but I swore when I listened to that, I said, "Is that Gill or is that Conway Twitty?" I know. it's Gill. Because he's got it down. I mean, he does. he's really got him down.
4: When you're talking classic country, old school country, and. I know these folks fairly well i've been able to talk to him and his wife melissa they live in nashville and um they're good people and they're so happy to also be back on stage after this whole pandemic and so he's excited about this show and again it's it's a private show so it is uh we hope that we have some folks sign up some of your listeners sign up and September 27th through the 30th. It's a great three-night trip in Nashville. We're offering a really special price.
0: All right. If you are a country and western fan, you won't want to miss this, this trip. And
4: it includes the Opry, too. So. Yeah.
0: You don't get every, you don't get everything like this in many trips. This, mm-hmm. this was put together. Gina wants a lot of people there for Brooke.
4: I do. I do. I'm excited about it. And I'm grateful for them for the opportunity and just... Um, Playing in Nashville is something that Brooks wanted to do and so it just kinda came about and here we are and hopefully we'll get a lot of people on, on the motor coach and and we will go see Gil and the Opry and have a great time.
0: All right, so do you know what song you're gonna do with Gil yet?
4: Um aren't I doing a few?
0: Are you doing several songs. I don't songs? know.
4: We will I have to I'm find gonna... out. Okay. We don't really know at this I, point.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I'll pump him when he comes on. Okay, we'll, <laughs> we'll get the information for you. We'll put him on. We'll put him on the on the spot a little bit. We're, we're hoping to hear from him here in a couple of moments. And I'm thinking and that she's on.
4: probably going to go on before him. I don't know if she's going to go on with him. They've never, they've oh. never met. They've never. You met. guys
0: have never met.
4: Oh, yeah. Well, I want to oh. tell you
0: what you got a great supporter in Clay Cooper. He really likes you. He thinks that you got a lot of, a, a whole lot of uh, talent, which I believe as well, or you wouldn't have been on my show. Well, thank you. you know, you really do. Good. So, you're going to do a little bit of uh, music for us this morning? Yes. What song are you going to do?
4: Um, this is a song from the show Nashville okay. called Believing.
0: All right. So, we'll let you do a little bit of that. Then we'll take a break, and we'll hope that Gil gives us a call here in just a moment. All right, back with you. Don't forget about Dustin Turner. If you're trying to sell your home, which many of you are right now because the housing market is hot, 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 uh, he can take you three different ways. He can say, okay, you got your house looking 100%. We'll go for the biggest uh, amount of money that we can get. Uh, He can offer you a cash offer on the spot, or he can say, well, let's sell it as is and see what what is going to happen. And you might be surprised right now. Having some things that are wrong with your house, and then being able to sell it for top dollar. I was just talking to somebody uh, about that yesterday, and said guy had bought a house for I think he said a a little over a hundred and thirty five thousand dollars ten years ago, and sold it for three hundred and something thousand dollars. crazy, just the other day. So uh, I'm I'm looking at that uh, of doing that. I, I'm calling uh, Dustin and talking to him about it. I'll be calling 501-952-2969. That's 501-952-2969. Or you can do this as well. You can go online to hometeamsoldit.com. That's hometeamsoldit.com. Now, I was going to have Brooke play, but I'm going to wait, have her wait for a second because it looks to me like Gil is on the line right now, and uh, he's calling in. I want to talk to him because I'm going to tell you what, Gil, I was – I. I I tuned up that uh, slow hand, which we we just played for the listeners. And you've got Conway Twitty down to the nth degree. You cannot tell the difference between you and Conway Twitty, especially on Hello, Darling, which I listened to as well. I swear to God, I couldn't tell whether that was Conway Twitty or that was you. (laughs) Well,
2: thank you. I've I've heard that a time or two uh, in the last several years. But, you know, the funny thing about that is when I – went into the studio and recorded a little EP of Conway, of my favorite Conway songs. I really didn't go in there to try to sing them or sound like Conway. In fact, I didn't really, I mean, I knew I kind of sounded maybe a little like Conway. So I didn't really put it on as much as I could have, I guess, is what I'm saying. And then I started doing, I started doing the live shows and people were, uh, I was just playing up a little bit more. And then, uh, so I you know I can actually sound a little more like Conway than than that recording does actually wow. because I've been doing it now I've been doing it now and trying to do that intentionally so yeah it's a lot of fun. Well,
0: I will tell you what, when you say "darling," you got it, man. <laughs> you got it. He he said that in his own way. The, the, you know that is a definitely uh, a Conway oh, Twittyism. How's that yes one for you?
2: I know. I mean, it's it is so much fun to be able to go out on stage in front of an audience and, and do that. I did the same. Like I saw Conway Twitty, you know, years ago. And I I took my grandma with me and she was a huge Conway fan. And that's how he would open the show. Like it was like dark and everything. And all of a sudden I was like, hello, darling. And my grandmother's (laughs) head head almost popped off. The the response to that. And now, now I get to do it and kind of feel a little bit of what it was like for him maybe to, to do that for his whole career, it's, it's, it's so much fun.
0: So you got a backing band. Do you call them the Twitty birds? No,
2: (laughs) they won't let me do that. I just, uh, I I hire some of the finest players that we have here in in Nashville and there's an abundance of them, as you can imagine. And there's quite a few guys. And then, you know, I started doing this show, up in Canada, where I'm from originally, so we, we were playing theaters everywhere. So I've got a couple of, of bands up there that are on standby when we do uh, those shows also.
0: All right, fantastic. Now, so I was told by Gina that she thought you were coming to uh, Hot Springs here in uh, Arkansas. Is that true?
2: I am. I'm actually going to be there playing at the Heritage Festival um, in August. I think it's the 28th of august uh playing at the hot springs village in the theater there yeah ponce leon or something yeah and I don't know if they've started advertising that, but we've just done it. So there you go. That's Oops. it. We'll
0: just Sorry, let everybody. <laughs> I to... Hey, look, I told Gina, I'd start pumping you about I... that. All right. So anyway, no, it's,
2: not... it's, a, it's official. We're definitely coming to play that and looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll make sure I make my way down to hear you because uh, you Ooh. really, He's you fantastic. impressed me. You really mm-hmm. did impress me about uh, with your sound. It's, it's amazing. You know, we lost Conway 22 early, um, uh, now yeah, if probably. I'm not mistaken he died of a and a, 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 was it uh, his aorta Aneurism. going to his heart burst. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I think it was like a stomach aneurysm yeah. and uh, oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, he was on we, he was we, on yeah. wasn't he on tour at that time? They were on their way to a show.
2: He was. He was uh going to play at a show and then I uh, think you know, I think he was on the bus and everybody went yeah. out and he was just kind of feeling a little under mm. the weather, didn't know obviously what was going on inside mm-hmm. of him. And then, uh, but uh, I was, I think the story goes where he was actually taken to hospital and Loretta happened to be at the hospital at the same time, uh, you know, her husband was in the hospital. And I think she got to see Conway before he passed. That's, that's how the story goes, I
0: think. Yeah, it's, it's a tragic story. It really is because mm-hmm. that is definitely. A, you die quickly from that. Just for people to know, you you die pretty quickly when that, when that happens. I mean, that's. I'm trying to think. The guy from Three's Company died. John of, Ritter. Don. That's what he died of. Uh, it it I ruptured. Think you're right. Yeah. And, yeah.
4: and early, just John Ritter yeah. died. What when he was fifty?
0: Yeah, he was real real young. And our senator, mm-hmm. uh, John Bozeman. Yeah. They just happened to catch it and took him in for emergency surgery, and you know he's still with us. But yeah, you know, that's. That's the health crisis he had, I think, a couple of years ago. Anyway, let's get back and talk uh, about I music.
2: I was going to say that goes to show you, just, you just enjoy your life as best you can. You know, every day, mm-hmm. absolutely take one for granted.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, what drew you? Now, you're from Canada originally. What is, mm-hmm. is is country that big up in Canada?
2: Oh, it is huge, absolutely. So, Canada. I'm from uh, Sudbury, Ontario. Is my where i grew up and it's just north of toronto and ontario and so uh big big country music community there and uh you know it it grows all the way you know if you go out west in canada and and, in in calgary uh and in alberta you know calgary and edmonton and the i mean country music there's you know a lot of farming out there and a lot of ranchers and uh you know real cowboys and stuff they love country music and uh it's always been very, very prominent. It's, I think it's the number one genre in Canada really, country music. Wow. Mm.
0: Yeah, I didn't mm-hmm. know that. Now you've got of course there's a female that comes from Canada. She's just relaunched her career here not too long ago and is was massive uh in America mm-hmm. as well. And I'm I'm doing it the way I'm doing it because I can't pull her name up in my I'm Faith Hill keeps coming up and that's not who it is. Yeah, no, she's from Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying I to know,
2: probably the Probably the biggest female country artist out of Canada would have to be Shania Twain. There you go. Ah, That's who I
0: was thinking of. You know what I hear in my head when I hear. Dun, dun, da, dun, dun, dun. That's what I hear whenever I think of her name. Yeah, she was incredible. And, uh, of course, she had a little. Yeah, she's, t- still,
2: she's still amazing. And she, she does, I think uh, Gina might know better, but I think she still has her residency in vegas or she just started a new one i think
4: oh she has a show so, in vegas she,
0: she does yeah okay. oh wow i'll have to get to vegas because yeah. I, I really like her me. I, think I think she's great Gene, right.
2: mm-hmm. i'll get on the bus and we'll sing some conway and on the way to vegas too we'll do that How about that? that sounds good yeah, it sounds, yes gill and i've yeah. been t-
4: talking about bus tours now for a couple years mm-hmm. right when the pandemic yeah. just before the pandemic hit right and then of everything course. got
0: put on the shelf
4: yes it did
0: Way but now it's taken put.
4: back off the shelf. <laughs>
0: I'll start. I'll start
2: practicing my Shania Twain songs. <laughs>
4: okay, good. <laughs>
2: All
0: right. So, Gil, let me have, well, Last question for you. And again, yes. you're going to be performing uh, here in Nashville uh, for mm-hmm. this private dinner, and and uh, for songwriters and whatnot, and for a lot of people that are coming in from uh, Little Rock as well. <laughs> well, what can they yes. expect?
2: Well, I. I I've um, kind of expanded the show. It's not only Conway Twitty, but a good part of it is just because I, you know, people react to that so so well, and they they love to hear it, and I love to sing it. So I make the show very much a lot of Conway stuff, but I also consider it more of a, of a legends classic country music show. So I'll be you'll hear some songs by <clears throat> uh, George Jones and Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson. Now you're talking. And, uh, you know. And even I mean Ray Price and oh wow right. uh, way 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 back yeah good I, I love I grew up grew up listening to that music and what I've learned by playing these Conway shows out is that there's a there's still an audience for it there are a lot of people who still want to hear that kind of music and uh, I'm happy to be able to to keep it alive and, and get out there and perform it
0: well if you're gonna be doing the Outlaws I definitely want to be there to hear it I got to tell you that I love the Outlaws well, come on. Those are my people. Yeah, those are my people. <laughs> All right, so you're going to be here in August. What's that date again? August 28th.
2: Okay, if that's the Saturday, I believe it's the or it's the 28th.
0: Yes. Uh, All right. You're thinking yeah. about coming in on the 27th? <laughs> well, if you happen if to, you co- never know, see. Here's what I'm going to say: if you happen busy. to, we've got a he, microphone for you right here you in the on studio. The show yeah, absolutely. If you absolutely. get in a day
4: early, that's how it works with Dave <laughs> Elswick.
2: Yeah. I see well, we can talk about that uh, But we'll see you know these days things have you know things are obviously opening up a lot Every, yep. everyone's back to to their thing and they're more than ever wanting to get out and have a good time and I see it here on a daily basis in in Nashville in fact, right now, I'm doing a show on a regular basis here on on one of the best um little tour buses here in town in Nashville. It's the music city rolling Jamboree and Jenny who's on that for nine years. Uh, she and I have gotten together, and, t- in fact, today we've got a show. Um, we get we get on there, and we have a great time. It's a comedy sing-along thing, and so I've been doing that, and I'll probably be doing that on the 27th before I come to Arkansas. But when people come here, um, you know, they need to check
0: that out, too. Cause we'll take a, a look. A lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Gil, this has been put together on a short notice. I thank you for making it possible, and we look forward to seeing oh, yeah. you. Seeing you in September. Thanks so much. I'll let you go. All right. All
2: right. Thanks, Gina. Thank, Thank
0: you, you very you. much, everybody. Right. Okay. Gil Grand here on the right. Dave Ellswick Show. He'll be uh, performing again. That's September 27th through the 30th. How do people get on this again, Gina?
4: LittleRockTours.com or call us 501 Tour Bus.
0: Okay, I've got 90 seconds. Can you do 90 seconds of music for us there? For yep. a- okay, I'll let you take. I'll let you take us out. Go ahead.
4: I don't remember how I got here when my rose-colored glasses disappeared. Sometimes my fingers they can lose tight and so I it go of everything I love. When I get the feeling that my prayers have hit the ceiling. And those are the days when my right.
0: faith. More coming in a moment. All right, we're waiting for uh, to be contacted here by Congressman Hill. He'll be uh, joining us here shortly on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, don't forget Little Rock Tours, this trip to uh, to Nashville, September 27th through the 30th. You heard Gil Grand uh, talking to us about that. It, it sounds like it's going to be a, a great opportunity to go. You're going to go to the Opry. You're going to go to the uh, Country Music Hall of Fame. You're going to have a private dinner with uh, with him, all right? And uh, he's going to do a lot of music as well. Hey, don't forget about PI Roofing and what they can do for you. Uh, they can keep your roofing good, good You know, stead, keep it running really, really well, and uh, you want that to happen. It's your last defense against the elements, and, uh, you know, We've been into this dry spell now. We were supposed to got gotten some pretty good rain out of this front. They came through uh, from down in the Gulf here yesterday. I don't know about you all, but I didn't get all that much uh, at uh, in Cabin. It was pretty dry. It, it, it was enough to dampen the sidewalk. That's about it, which I'm really happy with because I've been waiting to get down and, and cut the ditch that I got. Uh, in front of my house and I have to wait till it gets really dry to be able to do that and we get another couple of days of sunshine and high 80s and that's going to be that's going to be great but call PI Roofing have them come out check your uh your roof for you they'll walk it and take a look at it make sure everything is is all right uh with it uh because it only takes one nail to come kind of loose and come up a little bit and water can get into your house. I know that for a fact, because it happened to me just a couple of months ago, and I had to have PI Roofing come out and find that nail, and they did, and they fixed it, and they can do the same for you. All you got to do is call them 707-3551. That's 707-3551, and uh, on the internet at piroofing.com. Congressman Hill is with us from Washington, D.C. Big goings on yesterday. The Senate was able to, to beat back uh, the uh, voting rights bill uh, that uh, the Democrats were trying to push through uh, congressmen. That's a good thing that happened uh, yesterday in Washington, D.C.
5: Good morning, Dave. It was a good thing. It shows you the value of the filibuster and minority rights inside the Senate. <clears throat> and let me be clear again, Republicans are not poor Voter suppression. No. Republicans want plenty of time and opportunity and innovation for all people of all races who are legally able to vote at over age 18 in America to vote. And to say otherwise is a bold face lie. I mean, it's ridiculous. And so I thought it was a good outcome. We want our elections for Congress and Senate run in the states as outlined in the Constitution. And the states have been responding to uh, concerns over the 2020 election by debating, having public exposure, public hearings, uh, and just like in Arkansas, uh, have been amending their voting laws subject to the will of the people. And they're close to the people. That's where we need to be having these debates is in our state legislatures.
0: You know, what's interesting about what happened yesterday is that we had... Some uh, interesting things come out uh, of that Uh, Warnock, uh, the the new senator from Georgia, won in the election a couple of years ago and back up for reelection now, is uh, he suddenly has come out changing his tune, saying that he has been for voter I.D. all along. And if you just go back and just check what this guy believed in, he did not believe in voter I.D., and what the Democrats now are finding out is through their own uh, polling that like 80 percent of Americans think that showing some kind of ID to vote is not a bad thing. So suddenly now the Democrats are starting to sing a different tune. Are they starting to sing a different tune over in the House?
5: Uh, no. Oh, I OK. Say that they're, I, I would I would disappointingly report to you that they're not. They want 16 year olds to vote. They want uh, Felons to vote. They want no voter ID law. That's why this HR 1 and S 1 were so uh, troubling. It preempts all state voter laws. It would have preempted voter ID as supported by the Supreme Court in the states, and as you say, supported by the vast majority of Democrats, Republicans, and independents. And it would have had taxpayer money going to fund congressional and Senate election. So you would actually be indirectly funding someone you disagreed with. I mean, it, it's just a crazy bill, and how it can be treated seriously in the Senate, I don't know. And I'm glad they defeated it yesterday.
0: Well, I don't see how. Here's the, the only thing that I watch this, and I'm always, what's their long play here? And because the, the Democrats play long ball. They really do. They don't play little ball, they play long ball. So what you have is you have a group of people that. I think know that if it gets in front of the Supreme Court, they say this is unconstitutional. However, maybe that doesn't get up in front of the the Supreme Court until after the 2022 election, and you can hold on to the House. Is that kind of what they're thinking? Do you know? I mean, you can't get in their minds, and I nor do I think you want to. But the bottom line is, is you know, it's kind of crazy, but it seems like to me that may be their end game.
5: Well, to me, it's just about open voting and no rules, just like Democrats promote essentially no legal border requirements. They're not for border security physically. They're apparently not for a set of laws that allow people to lawfully immigrate. They just want to go back to uh, a completely free, open border system. I think they had the same philosophy about voting, which is if you can fog a mirror, uh, you know, you can vote uh, 16 and up. We're not we're not. There's no ability to prove that you live in that district, prove that you're a legal resident of the country, uh, prove that you're over 16 or 18, whatever their age is, um, or that you are registered to vote as required. So to me, it's just a free for all. And it's not in keeping with American traditions for 200 years, and that's their approach to virtually everything in this Congress.
0: Yeah, it, it does seem to be that way. I mean, they, they just want to have no rules whatsoever. It's just, as you say, a free-for-all. Uh, I sent a story into you. I wanted you to take a look at it and maybe have something to say about it, and that's what China is saying to these companies now that are coming over to work in China, how you almost have to plead uh, fidelity to the communist government Uh, After looking at that, that worry you any?
5: Look, China has um, another law. I read that. And uh, this is uh, China's having a little peak of anger because uh, the West, Mm -hmm. uh, Europe and the United States are trying to hold China accountable for running concentration camps in (laughs) Western China and imprisoning the Uyghurs and breaking their 50 year agreement with the United Kingdom and Hong Kong and threatening Taiwan and not allowing the World Health Organization into the country in an effective way to determine what happened in Wuhan, and therefore we're putting sanctions on certain Communist Party officials because of all that malign behavior, this is their little uh, fit where they're going to try to have turnabout it's fair play and say that if Ford Motor Company builds a plant in China, their officials, everybody who works there, is going to have to basically swear a loyalty oath to mm-hmm. to China, so look, that's a, a dumb idea, and, but this is their reaction in the Communist Party to the West now uniting under President Trump's leadership and continuing uh, that we're not going to put up with them cheating on intellectual property uh, and cheating on treaties uh, and not standing up for the international rules in trade and economics and diplomacy, and China's in a bad place right now. So I hope that this is an example of what I propose we do about this is my save act, which passed in May unanimously in the House, which provides uh, incentives in the medical supplies, pharmaceutical arena, PPE for those supply chains to be diversified to support uh, the American people in case of a pandemic. I think American businesses all over the world and European businesses are reassessing their supply chain into uh, china and they will not be dependent on china for a source of supply and they won't be dependent on china as a place to sell their goods and services that doesn't mean they're going to pull out completely because china is a huge market and just as they've turned negative toward the west and aggressive uh 2013 ish under the obama uh coddling of china hmm, maybe they'll go back the other way so the problem is we've never had a communist dictatorship, authoritarian government as integrated as they are in American the American supply chain, and that's what I think you'll see a major reassessment of that.
1: Uh,
0: next time that you're in the area and you can come sit down in the studio, I'm going to ask for an hour, and I want to talk just China, because there's a lot of things to talk about concerning China. Right now, we we'll got to take a break. Uh, let's do our break. When we come back, I want to talk about the American Hostage Task Force I want to talk about China and COVID-19 and the cover-up of Wuhan and uh, the Biden economy, which worries me immensely. We'll talk about it when we come back. Our guest is Congressman uh, French Hill. He'll be back in just a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, Congressman French Hill with us. District 2 here in uh, Arkansas and encompasses our main listening audience here at 101.1 FM. Uh, the answer, we talked a little bit about China already. we talked about the voting rights bill that was stopped in its tracks yesterday in the, uh, the Senate. Let's talk a little bit about something that uh, you are involved in very, very uh, closely, and that's uh, the American Hostage Task Force that uh, just got launched, I think, yesterday, wasn't it?
5: Uh, end of last week, yeah. I partnered with Ted Deutsch, uh, who's a member of Congress from Florida, Uh, And he, too, has experienced in the last few years trying to help a constituent family cope with uh, an American being taken hostage in a foreign country. My own experience was really shaped on this uh, by Maj Kamelmaz, who used to be a professor at UA Little Rock and lived in the metro area. And he was going, trying to get back into his native country of Syria to attend a family member's funeral, and he disappeared. And we haven't seen him since. And we've worked with the State Department and the CIA and others on trying to determine Maja's status. And so there are about 53 Americans held abroad right now. And a lot of those families have a hole in their heart about what's happened to their loved one. Frequently, it's classified, David, Mm -hmm. so they don't get the information they need. So this hostage task force has two goals. One, advocate with members of Congress about how best to serve their constituents that are suffering from being kidnapped or taken by either a terror group or a state actor. And then, two, work with the State Department and use members of Congress' travel and influence around the world to help get them released.
0: Now, we've seen this happen in North Korea, and we've also seen this happen in Iran. So it can be state actors that deal with this, correct?
5: Absolutely. And President Trump was outstanding on this issue. He made it a real point of personal uh, pride that he worked to get people out of of uh, incarceration. Uh, no matter how long they'd been held abroad, he was successful in the warm bear uh, return from North Korea, although he then died because of the torture and horrible conditions he was held in in North Korea. <laughs> he helped with pastor, uh, the pastor from, that was held in Turkey and reunited him with his family in the right. United States. So this has been a priority for the Trump administration. And Ted Deutsch and I wanted to continue strongly uh, in the Biden administration.
0: Let me just ask this. What Trump did during the four years that he's in the White House right now, it seems to me that President Biden is reaping some really good rewards off of that. But that won't continue if he keeps pursuing the economic policies that he's pursuing.
5: Well, right. I mean, he is headed down the wrong track in economics, border security, uh, energy policy. And uh, what President Trump left him with was a good economic policy, a good border security policy. <clears throat> I think a good uh, position on trade and negotiation around the world. Uh, what I see Biden living up to, you know, keeping a focus on, uh, is certainly the China position that Donald Trump. Uh, I I believe we do continue to have bipartisan support for being tough on China, and we'll certainly be holding the Biden administration to account there. But they've made mistakes. They're making a mistake, in my view, in how they're handling Israel. And they're making a mistake by trying to go back into the Iran nuclear deal uh, without the kind of structural changes that would make that deal, um, in my view, in the long run, successful and actually block Iran from a nuclear weapon, and the ability to launch it into Israel or Europe. So uh, President Trump left Joe Biden with a good uh, legacy in a number of areas, and we're in Congress working very hard to press him to keep that going uh, where we can.
0: Are you all pressing him to stay out of the Iran nuclear deal, not to reenter into that? I saw what Australia now was telling him, not a good thing to do, Mr. President.
5: We are, and uh, they're continuing talks uh, uh, between the uh, five countries and Iran. There's been no real progress made. Uh, Just this week, Iran had elections. They elected a hardliner as the new leader of their country. And they also came out this week and said, look, we're not going to put our ballistic missile technology in any way, shape, or form on the table for these talks. Well, for me, that's a real problem because if you (laughs) – Uh, allow Iran to continue to develop uh, missile technology using technology from China, North Korea, and Russia and threaten the Gulf states and Israel and Europe, you're not getting anywhere. So uh, I believe that the launch technology has to be an issue on the table for any future deal with Iran.
0: Well, we talked a little bit last week about China and some of the different things that uh, the West is being faced with. I think the West is beginning to understand that they're not the the player we thought that they would be. I mean back in the 70s we thought that if they reaped some of the benefits of uh, capitalism or free markets that uh, they would let up on some of this iron grip of the CCP. That has not happened now. Uh it, in fact it's gotten worse. Do you think that we'll ever know what exactly happened at that Wuhan lab or is China going to be able to do enough smoke screens to keep us from knowing?
5: Honestly, I think it's wishful thinking that we think we can pry open uh, the closed society and authoritarian state of China and get to the absolute definitive bottom of that. But I'm glad the Biden administration has their intel assessment underway. We ought to get some report on that here towards the end of uh, June or July from uh, his request. And I still think, though, that the best thing to do is for uh, the Western democracies of of the world to press China to open the Wuhan lab for a thorough independent investigation, including American scientists and not the kind of drive by window dressing WHO visit that they had, you know, several weeks ago.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's just so many things going on with China right now. I mean, we can start with building that island out there in the China Sea. That is a very, very dangerous uh, provocation, I guess it would be the word for. I'm not liking what I'm hearing from them when they talk about Taiwan. And uh, things could heat up in that area of the world real, real quickly. And I don't like what they're doing in space as well. I mean, we've got to change our whole attitude towards China, and I know it's starting to change, but, I mean, we've got to get hard-line like, with them like we did with Russia, don't we?
5: I think we have to do more. Russia was a very isolated case. They had nuclear weapons. They had a big army. They had the resources to uh, uh, through the whole Soviet Union to <clears throat> be a real challenge to the West. But China's a far more significant threat to the west than the soviet union ever was why well they have nuclear weapons true but they also have conventional weapons that are at the top of their game they have a satellite system all around the world they have a base on the dark side of the moon they now have a rover on mars they have a civilian technology that integrates Uh, intelligence and defense-type characteristics that they're trying to export and put embedded in every telecommunication systems in the world. That's why you hear us talk about Huawei. And they're trying to infiltrate through both intelligence and technology and the military and diplomacy and using their credit to displace the United States. And in addition to the U.S., Western democracies as the leading centerpiece of diplomacy and the international monetary system and the uh, system for safety around the world all
0: right congressman french hill always a pleasure when you're back in the area let's let's set up an hour so we can just talk about china they are a significant problem for the west not only us but for europe as well it's a a pleasure to talk to you again today let's do it again next wednesday all the best. All right. Talk to you later. That's Congressman French Hill here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're going to take a break. we got some news coming your way and uh, want to get that for you so you can get brought up to date. Uh, then we'll come back and uh, we'll hear from Congressman Bruce Westerman. I want to go back during the time that he was a state representative and want to talk to him a little bit about state education because education is really important right now with CRT and with 1619. We need to talk about that. We'll discuss that with him when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, if you got any questions about filing for Social Security, one of these great booklets from David Lucas Financial can help you out. Your guide to Social Security. I know you got questions. I had questions when I was looking at uh, doing my Social Security and when should I start it and what's the, you know, the benefits of going early or the benefits are going later. All of that is covered in your guide to Social Security, 27-page book outlining what you need to know that can help you get even more income when you file for Social Security. If you're within five years of filing for Social Security, get this free booklet now by calling 501 222 Thirty-three fifteen. you receive a free customized social security analysis you've heard david talk about that on my show and it pinpoints the optimal time to wring every nickel out of your benefits so call that number 501-222-3315 that's 501-222-3315 for your guide to social Security. All right. We've uh, talked to Congressman Hill from District 2. Let's talk to Congressman Westerman from District 4. He joins us now here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Congressman, thanks for uh, being part of the Dave Ellswick Show today and a big victory in the Senate yesterday in that you guys stopped this craziness that the Democrats have been trying to do on on voting and and making it a nationalized uh, elective Process instead of keeping it where the Constitution said it should stay in the states.
3: Yeah, Dave, a very dangerous bill, uh, and so thankful that the Senate was able to stop that. I didn't see the the final vote tally on it. I don't, did, did Manchin or Cinema vote? Uh, for cloture on it. I didn't yeah Yeah, mansion
0: Manchin voted for it. I don't know what Cinema did. I think it was like a 50-50 vote is what it came down to. So they were like 10 votes short of being able to get it through.
3: Right. And, you know, that's, that's the number one priority of the left. It's HR1 in the House and S1 in the Senate. They gave it the number one bill number uh, because it's their top priority to federalize elections to, uh, I believe, I honestly, I don't think it would hold up in um, in a court challenge because I agree. it does uh, violate the Constitution so much. Uh, but it would basically take California voting laws and make those the, the laws of the country um, mail out ballots, no voter ID, uh, taxpayer money going to fund campaigns with a, uh, I believe it's a six to one match. So, you know, I could get a $10 donation and then turn around and get $60 from the taxpayers to put in my campaign coffers. I, I, for the life of me, I don't know. Well, I think I do know. I think it's a, a, a power grab they're trying to do, but it's it's so bold and and uh, and brazen in what they're trying to do with election laws that I sure hope the American people look into this and see what the – the Democrat Party is trying to push.
0: It's been interesting in that several Senate Democrats now are singing a little bit different tune. Uh, The guy that uh, was just voted into the Senate from uh, Georgia uh, says that he was never against voter ID laws. Never. Never, 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 which is the biggest bunch of bull I've ever heard. This guy spoke against uh, voter id left and right and there's other now democrats that are saying oh, well voter id is not bad you uh you think that that could be some of those uh, polls that they're seeing that 80 percent of americans think voter id is a good thing
3: um you know i should have seen that before they voted for it but he if he voted for cloture on s on s1 he voted to do away with uh, voter id laws Uh and every democrat that voted for hr1 in the house voted to do away with voter id laws i understand some states may not want to have voter id laws but for states like arkansas that that have them and we shouldn't be told by the federal government you can't verify uh, people's identity when they come to vote you know i was in the uh, you, you'll remember, Dave, but I, it was when I was in the state legislature that we passed the voter ID law, and we had to override Governor Beebe's veto to, to make that That's law. right. Um, but, you know, to me it's the most common sense no-brainer there is that you, if you have to show an ID to get on an airplane, to buy alcohol, to buy tobacco, to open a banking account, um, then why should you not have to show an ID to...
0: Uh, to vote in an election. Yeah, I'm 100 I'm percent behind you on that. I've been for voter ID since its inception. While we're talking about when you were a state legislator, can I ask you one question about that time uh, dealing with that? Something that you brought up that I'm wondering if it doesn't need to be brought up by somebody else now. You used to talk about, uh, you know, giving students uh the amount of money that was necessary for them to go to a public school there's so much money that goes to public schools attached to each student and you said that was a way to get away to, around the lakeview cases that every student would get the same amount of money so it was it was there was equity there uh do you think that that, that still could be pushed here in the state of Arkansas, because when I look at what's going on with critical race theory, when I look at what's going on with the 1619 Project, I think parents now more than ever need school choice.
3: Yeah, and, and the, the issue that was in front of the legislature back then, and I think the, the state has actually made some, some progress towards this, is we were trying to create what's called a tax credit scholarship program where if a student wanted to go to a private school or a school of their choice, <clears throat> then the state funding for that student would, would follow the student. But um, you know, there was the argument that you can't be using state funds to pay for, pay for private education. So the way to offset that, we were um, allowing a tax credit program where you could set up an organization that would receive donations. And the donations to that organization would offset the funding that the students would take with them to go to the school of their choice. It was modeled after uh, what's been done in Florida, uh, which has been highly successful. Actually, I I served with a guy named Daniel Webster from Florida, who was the Speaker of the House in Florida, that implemented the program down there. And he said they got the same pushback from the public school system and he said they also had um you know a lot of people in the minority community that were pushing back against it, uh, but he said once they got it into place, he said the the staunchest supporters of it were state legislators uh from minority communities that saw the difference it made uh when they were allowing these young people that would not be able to afford to go to any school other than a public school. To take their, their money, go to a private school, and get a good education. So uh, it's been highly successful down there. And, and like Dan Webster tells me uh, when we've talked about this here in Congress, that um, it would be almost impossible to, to do away with that program in Florida because it's been so successful and seen so many uh, good results. Now, I think Arkansas has made some. Some strides towards that in the state legislature. I haven't followed it as closely, but I know the issue continues to come up.
0: All right. Uh, our guest is, of course, Congressman uh, Bruce Westerman. Uh, congressman, I want to talk to you about uh, environmentalism, I'll talk to you about uh, nat- your natural resources, is something that you know so much about here in just a moment when we come back. We've got to get a break in. We'll talk to the Congressman some more here on the Dave Ellswick Show. When we continue with him, I need to remind you about Pat Davis and Pat Davis is going to be on my show on Friday from about 705 to 730, trying to explain to you how his system works, that it could save you 30 to 50 percent on health insurance. It's health insurance. It's not a share plan. Uh, It's great health plans for self-employed and small businesses that are trying to give their employees health insurance. You're looking uh, at getting any provider you want in the nation and no co-pays. All of that works out in Pat uh, Davis's way in his world of uh, uh, of health uh, uh, plans. And we'll talk to him about that uh, on Friday. Also know that excess money that uh, would normally go to the insurance company goes to the client, you, uh, under his plan that that he deals with so to find out more about it uh you can talk directly to pat 501-605-6935 or visit him online at your that's your health and be here at 705 on friday to hear our conversation about this and how you can save money All right, back, uh, finish up our conversation uh, here on a Wednesday morning with Congressman Bruce Westerman. You know, Bruce has uh, his degree from one of those fancy East Coast uh, uh, universities. I love kind of grinding that in a little bit. But anyway, let's let's talk. You, You know, you're a forester. You know a lot about natural resources. Maybe you can answer a question because this is something my wife asked me, in fact. She heard a story about that California is suffering under a huge drought, but they're, they're dumping water into the ocean right now. Do you know anything about that and what in the heck is going on? Yeah, absolutely. She's not wrong. Um,
3: it's uh, it's. It's the fruits of radical environmentalism. There's a uh, a little critter out there called the delta smelt, um, and the environmentalists have uh, sued, and they've required uh, the Bureau of Reclamation, which manages a lot of uh, the water in California, which also you know falls under the jurisdiction of our Natural Resources Committee. Um, they have to release water to supposedly help the delta smelt, which they're really not helping the delta smelt, but they're running billions of gallons of water into the ocean during a drought period. And they, it's not just this year. They've done it for several years. So what you're seeing is uh, the dangers of managing for a single species. Uh, there's a fish and wildlife refuge in California that's not going to get any water this summer. And you're going to see a lot of species harmed negatively by that. But, you know, under court order, they have to release water uh, to uh, take care of this one single species They could be managed um, a lot more scientifically and, and helped more. Um, one thing, if they would increase the, the height of one of the dams and they would have uh, colder water to release into the stream where this, this delta smelt is. Uh, but it's uh, unprecedented drought out there. Uh, I was reading an article this morning that said that the, the water in certain parts of California tastes like mud already, because they're down to the bottom bottom of the, the reservoirs. And I was out there a couple of weeks ago, and it's just incredibly dry. Uh, I've got friends who are uh, foresters who, oh, this one guy actually lives in California, and he contacted me a couple of weeks ago. He'd been out in uh, Kings Canyon, you know, that's where the, the giant sequoias live and um, he said it could go up in smoke this summer he said that it's been so poorly mismanaged you've got all these ladder fuels now he said if you go there where the the giant trees are at the national park they've got it all cleaned out and it looks park-like but he said when you get off into the backcountry uh, it's just a tinderbox waiting to go up and in, in flame. so that's why i'm so passionate about pushing for sound forestry management and really all natural resources management Uh, water is such a major issue in the west Um, and it's not just california it's all those western states that are going to to suffer uh, very much this summer
0: well oregon is going to suffer up there as well what is it the snake river that's up there that they have mismanaged so badly
3: Well, you've you've got the Snake River, which feeds into the Columbia River Basin. There's proposals out there now to tear the dams out of the the Snake River that goes over into Idaho. Um, That's an an issue that's on the table. Uh, This country spent billions of dollars uh, building dams and creating water infrastructure in the West. Now, there were a lot of mistakes made, and there were uh, some shady dealings that took place. But at the end of the day, the West has been able to grow because of those water management systems. That most of them were done by the Bureau of Reclamation. Corps of Engineers did a lot of it as well. You've got a lot of tribal water rights, um, and it's it's uh, you know very complicated when you start looking at, uh, especially like the Colorado River and who gets water out of it and how much water the city of Los Angeles managed to wrangle out of the the Colorado river. You've got, you know, Las Vegas wouldn't be there without um, water from the, from the Colorado river. Mm -hmm. Uh, But now you've got people wanting to go in and and tear out this infrastructure um, that really is the basis of survival in the West. It, The the way one way to look at it, the West developed as water resources developed. Um, And, you know, once you get past the 100th meridian, you you get about 11 inches of rainfall per year until you get on the other side of the the mountain ranges uh, closer to the coast. So it's uh, the old saying that in the West. Um, whiskey for drinking and waters for fighting is pretty accurate
0: all right so you know what can we expect i mean when you look at california san joaquin valley all that area farmland in that area produces a lot of the food that we consume here in the united states So are, are we going to start seeing you know uh you know i don't know what fruits uh I know pistachios is something they do a lot of, figs are something they do a lot of, olives is a lot of something they do uh, out in California. Are are we going to see some of those products start showing up on the shelves not being there?
3: Yeah, Uh, I I met with the president of the California Farm Bureau when I was out on my trip. I'm actually going to probably go out there again and, and tour some of the farms in the Central Valley, but it's the most productive farmland on the earth. And it provides an unbelievable amount of the fruits and vegetables um, that, that are consumed all across the United States. So there's grave concern that they're not going to get water. Um, you know, you've still got wells out there that you can pump out of, but there's restrictions on that, and the water tables are dropping. Um, it's, uh, it's not looking good. For the the farmers in the Central Valley, which means it's not going to be looking good in the in the grocery stores across the country for fresh fruits and vegetables.
0: Wow! All right, so you keep us up to date on that, would you, uh, Congressman? Because you're you're so, I mean, this is your 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 wheelhouse as far as that goes. I mean, you're waiting for the ball to come down that wheelhouse so you can drive it out of the park because you are uh-huh. up to date on all of this.
3: And, Dave, I visited some – the Bureau of Indian Affairs falls under our committee as well, so I visited with several tribes when I was out out west. And, you know, they, a lot of this tribal land is, is in a desert area, and the, um, the tribes have water rights that they've been granted through, through treaties. And just to show how productive some of this land is, there was a grapefruit orchard. I mean it's basically desert with this beautiful grapefruit orchard that they use drip irrigation for and I asked the uh the tribal chairman, I said, I'm just curious, what does a crop like that what kind of income does it produce? And he said, Well that's that's about hundred acres and we just sold seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars of grapefruit off wow. of it. So, you know, seventy five hundred dollars per acre and he said they harvest it twice per year. So that's that's how valuable water is. Um uh, and the crops that they grow out there. But if the water's gone, the crops are gone.
0: So is the federal government going to have to get more involved in this to say to protect the food supply for our country? You know, you guys got to wake up and smell the coffee, so to speak?
3: Yeah, but it's laws that that were put there with good intention. The Endangered Species Act was put there with good intention. But it's been weaponized, and it's been used to stop – you know to to affect water management for the state of California because of a one species that they you know there's, there's been lawsuits under the Endangered Species Act, and the courts have stepped in and said, you know you can't do harm to this delta smelt, so they're releasing lots of water to supposedly help the delta smelt but um, from what I understand the the population of delta smelts isn't in, increasing that much um it's just insane to see how these laws get weaponized and the damage that it does, not only to the environment but to the economy. Um, you know, what about the rest of what about this fish and wildlife area that's not going to get any water this summer? What's that going to do to wildlife? Um, but it's uh, you know that's the law under Endangered Species Act. They can sue to do that. We've tried to change the Endangered Species Act. But every time we propose something to change it, uh, we get labeled as, you know, hating wildlife and not caring about endangered species. Same thing with the National Environmental Policy Act, NEPA, which is a hindrance for everything to building roads to, to doing forest management. So we're going to keep working on it and, uh,
0: hopefully something better will come out of it i'll tell you what next wednesday let's kind of zero in on that a little bit and talk about infrastructure and how it affects infrastructure all these studies that you got to do and whatnot and how that drives up costs our guest congressman bruce westerman he can talk about it because that's like i said that's his bailiwick thank you so much congressman let's do it again next wednesday you bet, Dave. Have a good one. Talk to you later. All right. Congressman Bruce Westerman here on the uh, Dave Ellsworth Show. Also interesting what he said about uh, public education and this whole thing of uh, uh, attaching the money uh, to the child uh, for education. And uh, I'm going to see if we can't get a hold of that the gentleman out of Florida uh, so that uh, we can talk to him and uh, find out what it was that they did that was different than what we've done. All right. That's going to be it for today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Tomorrow, we'll get it underway again at 6, uh, six o'clock in the morning here on 101.1 FM, The Answer.